Welcome to the Mortcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Now's a good time to go down and uh, to the dairy block and just try what they got. Go to at sit outside. Uh, look, it's like from now until about the early October is pretty much the perfect time of year to be in Denver. So if you are feeling safe, hopefully you're vaccinated, go downtown, uh, sit in the dairy block, sit outside, enjoy yourself all the varietals of wine that they got. But if you don't want to do that, they, you can go to bfwdenver.com, pick yourself up a wine bottle. You know, they got all the selections of their own wines there, um, which is goes from the range of whites to Rieslings to uh, reds. I mean, basically all you need right there at your fingertips. Um, I would try the Blake Street Blend or the 2017 Cabernet. Both of them are excellent, excellent wines. Uh, hopefully you check those out. You can also go to bfwdenver.com and kind of book yourself a virtual wine tasting if you're one of those people who really enjoys those things. Those are extremely popular. Um, they send you what you need to be tasting, and all, including the food that comes with it, and then you do a virtual thing and you just enjoy that altogether. Also, also, you can pick yourself up some swag or book yourself a table. Basically, you got everything at your fingertips right there. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Go to bfwdenver.com to book yourself a table, pick yourself up some wine, book yourself a virtual wine tasting, or pick yourself up some swag. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you for all for joining me on this belated part two of the Brian Shaw era of the Denver Nuggets. Um, sorry about last week. Uh, there were some serious audio issues on multiple podcasts that I had. I found out later, after examining the audio, that uh, I had some mic trouble, and I had to go out and replace uh, the one that I got. Um, it's not as good. Um, as the one I was using before. Hopefully this problem will sort itself out over time. The Brian Shaw era in 2014, the offseason, is really where the crash began. Um, you could write 2013-14 off as an aberration, considering the extraneous circumstances that were surrounding the team at the time and the controversy of George Carl being fired, particularly with the players, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, but the problem was, and would, would be, and I'll address this in the second half of the podcast, was that uh, Shaw surrounded himself with less than quality assistant coaches and his own kind of ideals about certain players on the team really is what undermined him in this season. It started off with a bang with Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris and Nikola Jokic all being drafted in the 2014 draft. Uh, really, the beginning of the, of the Tim Connolly era was right then, and I'll have another podcast where I really go into why that is the case. Um, and the Nuggets were able, and during that, uh, that draft, they were able to trade Anthony Randolph, a.k.a. the Unicorn, to uh, the Chicago Bulls along with their, uh, with a, I think it was the 11th pick that year, which was uh, Doug Moderna. Um, 
Another big uh, addition was the health of Danilo Gallinari, who missed a little over a year. Well, probably since he ate from April 2013. He didn't get back on the court till September of uh, 2014. So it was almost a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, that uh, Gallo was not on the court. Um due to the botched procedure and subsequent re-surgery of his knee. Where the Nuggets were was still trying to be a competitive team while changing and styles. As I said on the last podcast, one of Brian Shaw's biggest issues was that he was square peg round holding it with this Nuggets squad. Um, there's no way that the players that were suited for George Carl's free-flowing, up-tempo style of play were good for a slow-it-down um, run sets. Uh, one, the set that they always ran was this pretty common set for uh, NBA teams was horns. Uh, and there's variations you can run on the horn set. Basically, you know, you have the players run to the corners and you have pick-and-roll action at the top. Um, it's It's... It's a basic, extremely basic set in order to get spacing. Uh, they've been running that since the beginning of basketball. Um, but they, outside of that, because Shaw had such trouble teaching the triangle to um, specifically Kenneth Fareed, um, it, Fareed would often break the triangle. Um, and in fact, I wrote about this on Denver Stiffs. If you go back to 2014, um, they would run, try, try to run triangle sets with, uh, with Farid in the pinch post and, uh, Aaron Aflalo, who they acquired in the same off season for an exchange for Evan Fournier. Um, they required Aaron Aflalo and Aflalo had become, a post-up player. And I, I talked about this in the, uh, um, uh, 2014 media day, uh, podcast, a few podcasts ago. Uh, Flalo really had become a, his game has changed. It wasn't the same as it was when he was in Denver the first time where he, uh, was basically a catch and shoot player, uh, a little bit off the dribble, but his, all of his shots were, they were tend to be mid range, but, uh, there he was a jump shooter, uh, and then while he was in Orlando, he became a post-up guy, which was used to a ridiculously large extent um, by Brian Shaw when he would have not uh, Mozgov in the post, but it would be Aaron Aflalo and Kenneth Fareed trying to run these pinch post, weak side post uh, triangle sets, and it just didn't work because Fareed would break the triangle. Meanwhile, it was taking Danilo Gallinari a long, long time to come back from his injury. Um, and I'll get to this again in the second half of the podcast, but this and the perception of him and, and the, the inability for him to get back quickly um, was really affecting Shaw um, and his perception of both Danilo Gallinari and the Denver Nuggets. Meanwhile, 
a mere seven games into the season, a article in ESPN drops, basically excoriating Josh Kroenke and Tim Connolly, and it was it was. I don't want to get in trouble with the writer again, but I I would not have written that column. However true the feelings of the people that are uh, that particular author spoke to were at the time, it was. It seemed to be kind of suspicious that it was dropped when the Nuggets were one and six to start the year, and it was. It, it probably wasn't, but it was maybe coincidental. But it was. It was. It was uncomfortably that way, and this Nuggets team really was struggling at that time. Uh, they opened the year against the Detroit Pistons in one of the worst games I've ever seen in my life. Um, the Nuggets lost the game, uh, and frustrations right in game one were being, were getting to be felt. Shaw struggled to connect with the players even more, specifically the George Carl era players who looked at Shaw and said, why are you denigrating 57 wins? The players were rightfully very proud of that team. And this was an organizational misstep by Josh Kroenke specifically. Uh, and I don't think Josh has made a ton of missteps, but this was definitely something that he should have taken into account in the 2013 offseason. If you're going to try to change wholesale the approach of what has been the Denver Nuggets identity for most of their existence. You're going to have to do it with different players. And the Nuggets uh, didn't do that. They went from a team that won 57 games and then were largely hurt by Danilo Gallinari's uh, knee injury coming into that season. And they tried to wholesale change the approach to go to a slow it down defensive team rather than a run and gun Offensive team, which I, I think is unfair. That Nuggets team with uh, Andre Iguodala was uh, certainly um, the Nuggets team with Andre Iguodala was certainly better defensively than they get tre- credit for. Uh, they've just played at a faster pace. So after the first six games, this article drops. It, it causes chaos. It was. It was. It was. Certainly, I have my own views of who was spoken to for this article, but if you, if you want to read it, I'm sure it's online at ESPN. I may even link to it uh, when I post this podcast. To, needless to say, based on, and if you listen to my 2014 Media Day podcast, I talked about Aaron Aflalo going from the happiest man in the universe to the most miserable man in the universe in the span of two weeks. And one of the most remarkable changes of attitudes I'd ever seen. Um, and I had spoken to uh, AAA many times uh, prior to 2014. Uh, he's an interesting fellow. I wouldn't call him the best locker room presence ever. But Aflalo's unhappiness was exacerbated by the approach the Nuggets took um, and 
a general lack of direction that was permeating the team. Uh, aside from Melvin Hunt, uh, the Nuggets' assistant coaches were what I would call not good. Early in the season, I think about within the first two months of the season, Aflalo and Shaw got into it uh, on the bench. Aflalo refused to come into the game uh, I think they were playing, actually playing Portland that night. And Plor- Portland was just cleaning the Nuggets' clocks. And Aflalo refused to go in the game. Um, Gallinari was having an, another horrific shooting night. Uh, the, the offense was just terrible. They were losing by 30 points. Aflalo refused to go back in the game. And this caused some issues. My colleague Nate Timmons wrote wrote an article on this. It was uncomfortable. It was not unlike the Andre Miller incident from the previous year. And you don't need stuff like that happening to you. And this was all crescendoing up into the the break, the the trade, the All Star break, uh, subsequent trade deadline. And it was clear by that point that Aflalo was not going to work um, with this Nuggets team, both in a culture sense and in a player production sense. Uh, He had fundamentally changed as a player since going to Orlando for two years. And coming back to Denver, he wasn't the same guy. And obviously he had different expectations on this Nuggets team. And sometimes you just can't go back. And this was definitely the case here. Uh, the Nuggets ended up uh, just kind of not playing a Flalo for a while. And they get to the All-Star break. The Nuggets have a horrible record. Uh, and this is where things really begin to change for the Denver Nuggets. And I will talk about that more on the other side. Now it's time to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. These uh, NFL promotions and odds uh, are really quite popular. Um, quite frankly, uh, that the most popular thing that I've, I've read on has I, most people have just talked about how much they love these odds that DraftKings has for NFL, and it's continuing this week. It's been a great start to the NFL season, and it's only getting better at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is kicking off another week of action by giving all new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $1 on any football team this week and receive $150 in free bets instantly, no matter what. And this football season, all customers can swing, swing big with DraftKings same-day game parlays. Same-game parlays allow you to combine multiple bets for a bigger payout. This week, place a same-game parlay on any NFL game, and you will be credited up to $25 if your bet loses. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a nice, safe, and uh, kind of a backstop that you can use if you're going to get, if you're a first-time better and you're going into it. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to receive $150 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 uh, on any football game. 
That's promo code MHS to get $150 in free bets instantly. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The Nuggets managed to trade Aaron Aflalo to Portland uh, for Will Barton, Thomas Robinson, and I believe a draft first-round draft pick. Um, and you could safely say that the trade of Aaron Aflalo was the beginning of the of the end. For both Brian Shaw and the Carl Aaron Nuggets. Um, this was really where it was. Unfortunately, Ty Lawson, uh, his last year in Denver, the 14-15 season, uh, was falling apart at the seams. Um, Ty had two DUIs. Uh, he, uh, coming out of the All-Star break, he stayed in Vegas. He was late coming back. Um, actually, it wasn't the arsenal break. It was training camp. He was late coming back to training camp from Vegas, uh, because he was still there. Um, Ty ends up getting suspended. Uh, no, no, it was all-star break. Yeah. He was late coming back to practice from all-star break. It was just a, 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 a Ty was, uh, you can legitimately say Ty Lawson, who was one of the best Nuggets players on the 57 win team had come to a point where there was almost no return. Uh, Ty had been um, drifting for a while and it wasn't getting any better. Particularly when it came to Ty's drinking and the unfortunate aspect of this, and I'll devote a podcast on Ty Lawson here uh, very soon. Unfortunate aspect was Ty had all the talent in the world and just couldn't get out of his own way. And it's really, really sad. But the sad end of Ty Lawson was beginning in the 2014-15 season. Meanwhile, the rough relationship the players had with Brian Shaw's assistant coaches, uh, in particular one, was starting to come unraveled. Uh, the coach, one coach in particular was, um, you know, usually the head coach is supposed to be the bad guy and assistant coaches are supposed to be the good guy. This particular assistant coach was the bad guy. And the other assistant coaches weren't exactly acquitting themselves very well, aside from Melvin Hunt. It had become basically untenable for this situation to continue. The Nuggets got out of the All-Star break and won, I think they won a couple games and then it started a horrific slide. In the meantime, while this is going on, Gallo is starting to look maybe not like his former self, but a, a different a, a different version of what he was, and it, which would come to fruition in the subsequent two years of Michael Malone. Um, but at the end of the Shaw era, Gallinari was starting to round 
into something akin to his normal self, even though his game had changed. And that was one development that was encouraging. Uh, at the 2014 deadline, the Nuggets also traded Timofey Mozgov to uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who Mozzie ended up being a feature piece on the championship theme, team in 2016. These... But Mozgov leaving and the emergence of Yusuf Nurkic had, during this year, combined for a kind of this stew of being able to move on. And if I'm honest with myself, because I, I, I was too deep in it at the time to see everything that was happening, the seeds had been sown probably for the departure of Brian Shaw before our eyes, at the trade deadline. Uh, Mozgov uh, was Shaw's um, go-to guy. He liked Mozgov. I don't think he liked a lot of the players on the team, quite frankly, but he did enjoy Mozgov, and he was his reliable center. Um, Wilson had, I believe, got injured, and the Nuggets were just kind of a, uh, just not a great functioning team. They were listless. They had no direction. They hated, clearly, they hated the assistant coaches. And something had to give. My colleague at the time, Andrew Feinstein, wrote a column about the Nuggets needing to fire Brian Shaw and just embrace the fact that they're a bad team and get the highest draft pick they possibly could. Um... Subsequently, a few days later, the Nuggets fired Brian Shaw. Uh, and ironically, the Nuggets started playing better once Shaw was gone. Because not only did they fire Shaw, but I think more importantly, they fired um, two of his assistant coaches as well. Which tells you something. Because they still had to coach out the season, and two of the assistant coaches were gone. Just keep that in mind. That doesn't happen a lot. Usually the assistant coaching staff stays. But kind of tells you what an awful, awful job these assistant coaches had done. The Nuggets entered into the last part of that calendar, that kind of part of the schedule. They were, at one point, they were 19 and 50, maybe not that bad, 19 and 40 something. It was just, it was bad. They ended up ending up the season with 30 wins. They got, they went through, I think it was a 15 something game stretch with Melvin Hunt where they played significantly better. Um, And Danilo Gallinari had a 47 point game and a 40 point game. He was looking like the Gallo that we remembered. And one that Shaw um, wished he had. And the Nuggets ended up in the offseason hiring Michael Malone and trading Ty Lawson. And like I said, I'll talk to you about Ty Lawson and his circumstances later. But I kind of want to give you a kind of a denouement of, kind of, I mean, not denouement, coda, to what was happening in the Shaw era. It was a misstep by Josh Kroenke to kind of go this direction without addressing the roster. Um, Maybe that was a signal that uh, 
that Josh wasn't 100% sure um, of himself because I do really believe that Josh thought that this roster could compete. Um, but what transpired was a team that felt lectured to and told that what they were doing wasn't good enough and rejected their coach. And if you really want to put a bow on what be, what was the Shaw era, the Nuggets players felt personally disrespected by Shaw. And what you saw that through the rebellion of Andre Miller in 2013-14. Uh, the rebellion of, of Aaron Aflalo the following year. The slow dismantling of what was the Carl era, which finally reached a culmination in the 2017-18 season um, when Wilson Chandler was traded. That was the end of the Carl era, and it took a subsequent five years, four and a half years, for that to resolve itself. I will talk about this on multiple podcasts, but both the Ty Lawson podcast and the, the Tim Connolly era podcast. But the Nuggets just didn't. There, it was a square, the two years of Shaw, well, one and a half years of Shaw was square peg, round hole. And I give kudos to Tim Connolly for recognizing that he needed to adjust and go young while this was going on. And it was going on under people's noses. Um, as much as Shaw and his assistant coaches were a problem, uh, and Shaw, I get, I, and, and I'll say this and I'll say this the same way I started off, uh, the podcast with Brian Shaw was let down by his choices. Brian Shaw was let down by his frustration with Kenneth Fareed that he couldn't let go. Brian Shaw was let down by having one assistant uh, coach that, was hated by literally everyone, right? Brian Shaw was let down by many different things. Um, Aaron Aflalo wasn't necessarily his fault, but his poor communication skills, which is ironic considering that he tended to be a very good communicator, but his commu- poor lack of communication with certain players got to him. And... That is what his downfall is about. But it's mostly due to having awful assistant coaches. I think Brian Shaw can be a good coach. I think that the assistants that surrounded him need to be far, far better than they were. And and unfortunately for him, his only good assistant coach was Melvin Hunt, who is still got a stellar career as an assistant coach in the league. But it wasn't meant to be. And the Nuggets really began, not necessarily turning a corner, but the Nuggets finally had a direction in the offseason of 2015. And that is where resulting in what we saw them right now. Yes, it began with the draft in 2014 with the draft of Yusuf Nurkic, Gary Harris, and Nikola Jokic. But the direction the Nuggets got really coalesced 
in the off season of 2015. And I'll talk about that in a different podcast. Next podcast, uh, got two guests coming up on the podcast. So I hope you all enjoy those. And then the following week we have media day, but I will still be talking about these stories. I'm going to talk about the Tim Connolly era. Uh, and I'm going to talk about how things were reshaped in 2015, which is now six years ago. Strange to think about. And uh, I hope you all enjoy. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Bye.